It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello, Canada and hockey fans in the United States and Newfoundland. It's behind the Maple Leaf net. Detroit crowding them. Back to Boyle at the blue line. He fakes a shot. Rolls one in front. And Kennedy intercepted and shoots it away. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Pucks and Cups. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash Canada EHX. First, on every single tier, you get completely ad-free episodes. And you get a say in what topics I cover on my podcasts. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Or you can go to buymeacupofcoffee slash Craig U. All of these links are also in my show notes. And for people who donate, I have various levels of benefits. For $5, you get a thank you at the start of the next episode of Canadian History X, Canada's Great War, and from John to Justin, and on social media. For $10, you get everything from the $5, plus this episode is sponsored by, with your name at the start. Also, I'll state it's sponsored by you on social media. For $20, everything from the $5 and $10, plus a second episode sponsored by you, and promotion of something you're working on. And for $50, everything from the $5, $10, and $20 plus, you get to choose a topic for me to cover on Canadian History X. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok where I put up daily videos about Canada's history. Just go to my username, Bairdo37. And you can find weekly videos on Canada's history on my YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash c slash Canadian History X. If you want to find transcripts of every episode I've ever done, you can go to my website, canadaehx.com. And there's over 700 posts on Canada's history there. And on that note, I have to say welcome to my newest patron, Tom McMillan. Thanks, Tom. I truly appreciate you joining on as a patron. And before we continue, I want to mention that I have a new podcast out there called Canada, A Yearly Journey. In it, I'm looking at every single year in Canada's history from 1867 all the way up to today. This week, I released 1868, and I really like this podcast. I think you'll really enjoy it as well. So if you want, you can subscribe. It's on all podcast platforms. And again, that's Canada, A Yearly Journey. Welcome to Season 3 of Pucks and Cups. We're ready to start our season. we got 10 great episodes coming up, but we're going to start with today's episode on Cyclone Taylor. Born as Frederick Wellington Taylor in Terror, Ontario, the fourth of five children to Archie and Mary Taylor, it is not known the exact date that Taylor was born. Most sources cite that it was June 23, 1884, so that's what we're going with. Taylor grew up to be very close with his mother, who was a devout Methodist. Her influence would result in Taylor never drinking, smoking, or swearing throughout his life. 
At the age of five, he began to skate on ponds in the area using skates given to him by a local barber named Jack Riggs, who also taught him how to skate. Taylor would not learn organized hockey until he was six and moved with his family to Listowel, Ontario. In 1897, at the age of 13, Taylor began to play for his first organized hockey team, the Listowel Minnows, where he would spend the next five years. And despite being a few years younger than the other players, he was easily able to keep up and by his third year, he was one of the top players in the league. In the 1900-01 season, the team joined the Ontario Hockey League. In the same year, they won the local league championship thanks in no small part to the skilled play of Taylor. The team would reach the Provincial Junior Championship in 1904, only to lose in overtime. In Listowel, his father Archie worked making about $50 to $60 per month for his five children, and the poverty of the family would result in Taylor leaving school when he was 17 so he could bring in money for the family. He would begin working at a piano factory bringing in $20 a month to raise the family's total income. By this point, many teams in Ontario were actively courting Taylor to join their team. In October 1903, he was invited by Bill Hewitt, the father of Foster Hewitt, to play for the Toronto Marlboros. Taylor would turn this down. He was happy in Listowel, where he was helping his family with his work. Hewitt did not take this well. He thought Taylor would accept the invitation, and due to OHA rules to regulate player transfers between clubs, Taylor's refusal meant he could not play anywhere else in Ontario, and, as a result, Hewitt banned him from playing hockey during the 1903-04 season. Frustrated by having to sit out an entire season of hockey, Taylor began to look elsewhere in Canada to play. In January 1906, he moved to Manitoba and began to play for a team in Portage la Prairie. In his first game, he scored two goals. Playing against the Kenora Thistles, the top team in the league, he was offered the chance to join the team and help the team challenge for the Stanley Cup. And while he was considering the offer, he was approached by Portage Lakes Hockey Club, which was based out of Michigan, to play for them in the International Hockey League. The league was openly professional and Taylor was offered $400 to join the team. Today this would be worth about $3,100. Taylor agreed and left for his new team where he would score 11 goals in 6 games, helping the team win the 1906 league championship. The next season he scored 14 goals in 23 games, once again leading the team to the league championship. For Taylor, the league was a great place to hone his hockey abilities. He would state that it was, quote, a wonderful testing and training ground, and I was a far better player for my experience there, end quote. With so many Canadian hockey players going to the IHL to make good money playing hockey, the Eastern Canada Amateur Hockey Association decided to allow professional players. In the summer of 1907, while he played lacrosse in his hometown, various clubs, including the Quebec Bulldogs, the Montreal Victorias, and the Montreal Wanderers, all courted him. Taylor would choose to sign with the Ottawa Senators because the team not only offered him $500 to play for them, but also promised him a job in the immigration branch of the Department of the Interior. For Taylor, thinking he had to after his hockey career, he decided that extra job security was worth it even if he was only making $35 a month of the job. As soon as Taylor reached Ottawa, he was getting offers to play in rival leagues, including $1,500 to play for the Renfrew Creamery Kings, but Taylor chose to stay with the Senators, which proved to be a good move on his part. The Ottawa citizen would describe him on December 17, 1907, stating, quote, Taylor lived up to his reputation as a whirlwind, his speed being something phenomenal. 
Taylor is a pretty stick handler and plays any position to perfection. His passing was rather erratic at the start, but as soon as he got on the style of the other men, he was there with spectacular rushes and beautiful combination. End quote. One of the best players in the league, he was often skating so fast that he was called offside because he skated too quickly for his teammates, resulting in offside calls. He was also an innovator, becoming the first hockey player to wear pads on his shoulders. Sprague Clyghorn would stay, quote, Taylor, who was always poking around and figuring things out, picked up a couple pieces of felt over at Larry Gilmore's stable one day, cut them to fit, and sewed them to the shoulders of his undershirt, and that's how padding was born, end quote. On January 11, 1908, after a game in which Earl Grey, the Governor General, was attending, it was written by the Ottawa Free Press, quote, The new number four Taylor, he's a cyclone if I ever saw one, end quote. Another story states that an Ottawa sports writer wrote after Taylor scored five goals in a game, quote, He may have been known as the whirlwind of the International League, but he certainly is the cyclone of the Eastern Canada Senior Hockey League, end quote. Wherever it came from, the name Cyclone Taylor stuck. Taylor would say of the nickname, quote, That wasn't the only nickname I got. Once we played an exhibition game in New York, somebody called me the Jim Jeffries of the ice after the boxer. Naturally, this made me feel pretty great, because I was young at the time and impressionable, but Cyclone fit best, end quote. In his first season with the team, he scored nine goals in 11 games. That same year, in February 1908, Taylor met Thurza Cook, who was a secretary in the immigration department and a hockey fan. She had met Taylor the night before after watching him play a game. When Taylor met Cook's family, who were quite well off, they did not like him because he was a hockey player. So, he decided to win them over and he saved $10,000 to prove his worth. It took him six years. On March 19, 1914, the couple were married in their home and Frank Patrick was the best man. Together, they would have five children. Their son John would be offered a contract to play for the Maple Leafs, but he chose to get a law degree, and he would then be elected to the House of Commons in 1957, serving until 1962. A grandson, Mark, would play from 1981 to 1986 for the Flyers, Penguins, and Capitals. Taylor briefly signed with the Pittsburgh Athletic Club to start the 1908-09 season, but he hated the management of the team and soon returned to Ottawa, where he had 9 goals in 11 games. The Ottawa Senators would win the Stanley Cup that year. For the 1909-10 season, Renfrew again came courting Taylor, and on December 4, 1909, he stated to the press that he would not go to Renfrew if they offered him all the money up there. The Montreal Gazette wrote, quote, The efforts of the Renfrew Hockey Club to put a crimp in the Ottawa hockey team by stealing Cyclone Fred Taylor have failed. End quote. Of course, they did offer him all the money to join the team, and on December 30, 1909, he would do so, signing for an incredible $5,250, making him the highest paid athlete in Canadian history to that point. His salary was only slightly less than Ty Cobb, who played 154 games of baseball, while Taylor played only 12 games of hockey. This made Taylor the highest paid athlete in the world on a per-game basis. Today, the salary would be about $150,000, or about what a rookie in the NHL makes. As soon as he took to the ice, he was seen as a local hero in the community. The Ottawa Journal wrote on December 30, 1909, quote, Taylor appeared on the ice, and in anticipation, some 800 people were present. He received a great ovation. 
Taylor took all as a matter of course, and with the interspersion of a good turnout on the splendid Amateur Rivers team, a fine practice was the result. End quote. It was during his time in Renfrew that the legend of the time he skated backwards to score a goal would be born. Frank Patrick would state that he was back in Ottawa to play against his old teammates, and the sports writers asked him how he was going to get past the defense of Ottawa. He laughed and stated, quote, Why I can score on those fellows skating backwards. End quote. Frank Patrick believed that his friend was simply joking. Then, during the game, Taylor would do something similar to what he said he would, although the legend would grow from the simple play. Patrick would say years later, quote, On one of his rushes, the Ottawa defense stopped him cold and turned him around with his back to the Ottawa goal. He flipped the puck, backhanded, and nose past the goaltender. I was on the ice and saw the whole thing when we went on playing. End quote. The Renfrew Creamery Kings were a stacked club to say the least. Shortly after Taylor signed, Lester and Frank Patrick both joined the team, as did Bert Lindsay and Herb Jordan. Later in the season, the team added Newsy Lalonde. In all, the team had five Hall of Fame players. And due to the high pay of these players, the team earned the nickname the Renfrew Millionaires. Even with this stacked lineup, the team finished third in the National Hockey Association that year and did not challenge for the Stanley Cup. Taylor had an okay year, scoring 10 goals in 12 games. But he would re-sign with Renfrew for the 1910-11 season, and anticipation was high that the team would dominate on the ice. Fred Whitcroft, owner of the team, would say, quote, Renfrew will have the best team that ever laced up the skates, end quote. Unfortunately, the team had lost Lester and Frank Patrick, and Lalone left to play for the Montreal Canadiens. The team, with the loss of these players, finished third, and Taylor had 12 goals in 16 games. Renfrew would disband as a team in 1911-12, and the rights to Taylor would go to the Montreal Wanderers. Taylor would refuse to play for the team because he did not want to leave Ottawa. As a result, he sat out the entire season. There was the hope that Taylor would re-sign with Ottawa, and on December 23, 1910, the Ottawa Citizen reported, quote, It is quite probably, however, that the Renfrew owners will grant Taylor his absolute release in order that the once idolized cover point of the Ottawa's may return to the game as a member of the Red, White, and Black. End quote. After the season, though, the Wanderers gave up trying to get Taylor to join the team, and he would also turn down an offer of $3,000 to join the Toronto Tecumseh's. Taylor would say, quote, I only intend to play for two more seasons, and I wish to end my career in Ottawa. If necessary, I will buy my release from the Wanderers. End quote. Ottawa then offered him $1,800, and he turned that down as well. Throughout the offseason, unbeknownst to those courting his services, Taylor had been speaking with the Patrick brothers. They would encourage him to go west and join the new Pacific Coast Hockey League. Taylor decided that he would join the Vancouver Millionaires, earning $2,200. His contract also included transportation back to Ottawa and a four-month leave of absence from his immigration job. But then Frank Patrick would use his connections with Sir Richard McBride, the Premier of British Columbia, to get Taylor's immigration job transferred out of Ottawa and into Vancouver. The addition of Taylor to the league gave it legitimacy and immediately made the millionaires a contender. The first sellout game in the history of the PCHA was the first game Taylor ever played. The Vancouver province wrote, quote, It isn't any wonder that the Pacific Coast fans have gone into raptures over the work of Fred Taylor. The average Ottawa hockey follower would rather pay 75 cents to see Taylor make one of his famous rushes than see 10 or 12 games minus the Cyclone. There's no discounting it. He may not be the greatest hockey player in the world, 
but as a drawing card, he has all others fading into oblivion. End quote. And despite a bout of appendicitis, he was able to play all 16 games for the team, picking up 18 points. The next season, Taylor moved to the now-removed position of Rover, allowing him to combine offense with defense. This allowed him to explode in his offensive ability. That season, he had 39 points in only 16 games, including 24 goals. The next season, 1914-15, he had 45 points in 16 games, including 23 goals. His play that season helped the Millionaires reach the Stanley Cup Final, where they played his old team of Ottawa. Vancouver was able to win the first three games to capture the Stanley Cup, helped by Taylor scoring eight goals and two assists. And with that, Taylor won his second Stanley Cup. In 1914, in his capacity as a senior immigration inspector, Taylor was involved in the Komagata Maru incident. The Komagata Maru was a steamship that carried 376 Sikh, Muslim, and Hindu immigrants from India. Taylor was the first immigration officer on the ship, and he spent a considerable amount of time on the ship. In the end, the ship was refused entry to Canada. Taylor would say later, quote, It was a terrible affair, and nobody was proud of it. End quote. That same year, he enlisted to fight in the First World War, but his job was deemed vital, and he was exempted from service. In 1915-16, Taylor once again led the league in points with 35 points in 18 games, but Vancouver finished second and did not repeat as cup champions. After this season, he decided to retire, but most in the league didn't believe he would. The Kingston Week Standard wrote, quote, Fred has retired more often than Madame Bernhardt, but this last withdrawal appears to be the honest to goodness. It is hard to realize the old Listwell flower will live up to his threat. He showed last year he was as good as ever by leading scorers on the coast. End quote. He would return for the 1916-17 season and had 29 points in 12 games. As the National Hockey League was born in the East, Taylor stayed with the Millionaires where he led the league in goals and points with 43 in 18 games. He would also earn the MVP award that season and Vancouver took the league championship. With that, the Millionaires then earned the right to play for the 1918 Stanley Cup against the Toronto Arenas, but the Millionaires lost the series despite Taylor picking up nine goals in the series. In 1918-19, Taylor continued his dominance with 36 points, and this was the fifth and last time he led the league in scoring. Once again, Taylor said he was retiring, but he was back playing for the team in 1919-20, but he would only play 10 games due to a leg injury, recording 12 points. He then said he was retiring again, and this time it was final. But Frank Patrick offered to have him play only in home games, resulting in Taylor only having six points in six games. After sitting out the 1921-22 season, he would attempt to come back in the 1922-23 season. He appeared in a game on December 8, 1922, but found that the game was too fast for him at that point, and he retired for good. The Saskatoon Daily Star wrote, quote, The comeback was not his. His record in professional hockey is unapproachable from several angles, and with his well-earned laurels, his famous bald head, his trusty hickory, and his reliable steel blades, he has wisely stepped out of the limelight and into the row of spectators. End quote. Over his career in the PCHA, he had 263 points in 130 games, which included 159 goals. In the NHA, he had 22 goals in 29 games, and in Stanley Cup play, he had 20 points in 11 games. After his retirement, Taylor continued to work in immigration and became the Commissioner of Immigration for British Columbia in the Yukon. 
1946, he was named the member of the Order of the British Empire for his service to the country as an immigration officer during the World Wars. And in 1950, he would retire from the position. From 1936 to 1940, Taylor was the first president of the Pacific Coast Hockey League. And his final hockey game would officially be in 1937 when he put on his skates and played against a junior team. And despite his age, he still scored two goals and had an assist. In 1947, Taylor was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Three years later, his best friend Frank Patrick did an interview with McLean's and stated that Taylor was the finest hockey player in history. Eddie Shore would say that there was no comparison between Taylor and any player during the career of Shore. In 1952, Taylor ran as a candidate for the British Columbia Progressive Conservative Party for a seat in the legislature. He would finish fourth, but attempted to run again in the 1953 election, once again finishing fourth. In 1958, he flew to the Soviet Union on a hockey tour, and upon his return stated that the Soviet Union would rival the Canadian Hockey Leagues within a decade, and he was very right in that prediction. In 1960, when construction started in the Hockey Hall of Fame building, Taylor, as one of the first stars of the game, would turn the sod. The Nanaimo Daily News stated, quote, The former hockey great proved as adept with a shovel as he used to be with a hockey stick. End quote. In 1970, at the first home game of the Vancouver Canucks, Taylor dropped the first ceremonial puck, and for the rest of his life, he was a season ticket holder and often attended games. Cyclone Taylor, during his career in Vancouver, scored 148 goals in 126 games. That record would be pretty good today. Really good, but that's the kind of a hockey player Cyclone Taylor was. What was his secret of being able to score so many goals? I do really believe that I, I, was a, I had a given skating ability. I've never... Uh, thought our Heavenly Father comes down as low as skills, but I honestly believe that I was given a, a little extra help from somebody, which skating made me, skating added a lot, a really a whole lot to my play generally. It made it possible for you to well, you got more opportunities to shoot, to be up near the goal, to be around where goals are scored. So any loyal laurels that I had won or had defended, well, were a good place to me. In 1978, Taylor broke his hip and his health began to fail at that point. On June 9, 1979, Taylor passed away in his sleep. Taylor is a member of the Canadian Sports Hall of Fame and the British Columbia Sports Hall of Fame. Each year, the Vancouver Canucks award the Cyclone Taylor Award to the team's most valuable player. As well, since 1966, the Cyclone Taylor Cup has been awarded to the champion of the British Columbia Junior B League. And in his hometown of Listowel, the Listowel Cyclones are named for him. I hope you enjoyed that episode of my look at Cyclone Taylor. Next week, we're looking at Maple Leaf Gardens. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx.
And you can donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. And I also want to thank all of my wonderful patrons. And I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Tom McMillan, Mike Sullivan, Wendy Mills, Keelan Prignitz, Michael Matthews, Joanna Parker, Jeff Dahl, Vobs, Robert Page, Richard T., Colin Johnson, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nixon Ree, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roy, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from McLean's, BC Sports Hall of Fame, Greatest Hockey Legends, Wikipedia, Ottawa Citizen, Ottawa Journal, Montreal Gazette, Winnipeg Tribune, Vancouver Province, Kingston Wing Standard, Saskatoon Star Phoenix, and the Nanaimo Daily News. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.